0: what do you hold dear? I mean, not stuff, really. I'm talking about what deep beliefs do you hold dear? What are the truths you hold sacred about the world and about your place in the world? Now, you might have inherited those beliefs, had them soaked through your skin and into your bones as you grew up. You know, this is the light and this is the shadow. This is good. This is bad. You might have forged new truths for yourselves, started to write a new story, Where you walk a different path. But in either case, there are always prizes and punishments for holding tight to your truth. What's the reward you gain for holding this foundational truth? And what's the price you pay? Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them, Simon Alexander Ong is a fellow coach, a speaker, and he's the author of a newish book called "Energized: Making the Most of Every Moment. In some ways, that's all you need, just that title, make the most of every moment. Simon helps those in management find out what they can achieve when they feel most energized. But Simon didn't start his professional career with energy, he started it with expectations.
1: I grew up with this forsaken belief that success was defined by my job title. I should be a banker, I should be a lawyer, I should be a doctor, I should be an accountant. And so after I graduated from university, I went down the banking route.
0: I say timing is everything, and this happened to be the absolutely worst time to choose banking, the year before the global financial crisis. And to make it worse, Simon wasn't just in
1: banking. The first company I signed on to was Lehman Brothers, which, which collapsed into administration in September 2008. And that was really the catalyst for the journey that I have been on to where I am today.
0: That was the start of the journey. And like any beginning, you often spend time traveling through familiar country before you reach the boundary, the threshold. Now Simon was in and out of the banking industry for 10 years before he finally reached that moment when he realized that something in him had changed. That kick-started my
1: thinking about what else is out there. Because I started to question the beliefs that I had held, was banking the right path to
0: success? Actually, was it even my version of success? Well, that is the question, isn't it? What's my version of success? Where did I inherit it from? Is it helpful? Is it time to forge my own sense of what truly success means for me? Of course, that work often comes with, let's say, shrugging off the robes of the success and inverted commas that others have placed on our shoulders, the expectation of success. So I asked Simon, whose hearts had he broken when he made the leap from status and stability and became an entrepreneur?
1: I think the obvious hearts I broke uh, were those of my family, because mm. no one in my immediate family before me had started their own business or, or even done okay. anything remotely entrepreneurial, and so for me to have given up on something that they had invested financially into—my university education, uh, starting a job in in, in London, uh, helping me get rent to to, to get my first property. To give all of that up, I think I broke mm. probably their hearts in, in the process. And it, it was very difficult mentally, Michael, because I knew the move would be something that they would not approve of. Right. To give up stability, to give up uh, a monthly paycheck, perks, yeah, benefits, and, some, yeah, and status exactly. yeah. for, for something which was full of uncertainty. Mm. And, 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 not guaranteed to work out and so i struggled to share too much of that transition at the beginning and it was only when i started to experience some success that i would openly share a lot more with with my immediate family and in in, in fact i was very fortunate because my my father at the time was working abroad and every time he would call me and say simon how are things going how are things progressing with the job even though i was not in a job, and, and I was trying to make ends yeah. meet to try and pursue this new path, I, I would simply buy myself time, Michael. I would say, you know, it's the same old, it's the same old, it's going well, and I'm still fighting for that promotion. And yeah. hopefully in a few months time, I'll get that chance to prove myself. So I was just buying time to give me mm-hmm. the oxygen to develop this path, which I had no idea would work or not.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and so that was a struggle I went through mentally balancing their expectations with
0: what my heart was telling me i hear and i also hear that piece around um of not having a not having a role model around being an mm. entrepreneur like i'm an entrepreneur as well an, an, an accidental entrepreneur and there's nobody in my immediate family who is they're all have they work for institutions either public or, mm. or private um what surprised you about what's needed to be an entrepreneur i think it's just how much resilience is required
1: mm. um, i mean when we look at social media when we read magazines when we watch television about all the business leaders and entrepreneurs we celebrate we, we tend to over focus on mm. the successes on, on on the glamour and i think so many of us are blind to what actually goes on behind the scenes <laughs> and just to illustrate some examples of how I had to learn very quickly yeah. how much resilience you needed. When I when I quit my banking job in in 2017 to jump into this full time, yeah. I had three or four clients I was working with. So that kind of gave me some, some income to to build from. But within a few months, for whatever reason, Michael, three of those clients decided to stop working with me. <laughs> one, because yeah. they were moving abroad and, and, and so they wanted to seek a more local coach.
0: Yeah, The
1: other yeah. one, because their financial situation had changed and they could no longer afford the investment. So yeah. for whatever reason, I suddenly lost three of the four clients I had.
0: <laughs>
1: and to yeah. cope with that, with now no, no more safety net, was yeah. challenging and that was just the first of many challenges that i would face uh Mm. uh, along this entrepreneurial journey and so i think what surprised me is just how much resilience we need and to cultivate through the way that we we respond to those challenges that we will inevitably face
0: yeah i agree with that there's a lot of getting turned down as an entrepreneur Mm. either you know just it's an ongoing process to try and find your path through the paths that are blocked what did you what did you need to unlearn to be an entrepreneur
1: one of the one of the things I had to unlearn uh, to be an entrepreneur, which was really tough actually, Mike, when I think about it because I had been conditioned so materially in a certain way of seeing the world, yeah that this thing I had to unlearn was an attachment to an outcome oh, which so which was so yeah. tough because when I grew up it was like When I get that A grade, I can get to the next college. Or when I get Mm -hmm. a good degree, I can get a good job. And so I was always attaching my emotional well-being to something that may or may not happen. And so once I became an entrepreneur, it was so important to simply let go Mm. and to not attach my well-being to whether something worked out or not. In fact, just to focus on what I could do in the present, Um, because no one... No one can plan that far ahead. I mean, I mean, I don't know anyone who had in their business or financial plans a global pandemic taking hold of the right. world for two years.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and, there are and, a few and, people, but they're nutcases until they weren't <laughs> nutcases. Yeah. And so, I think that
1: was the toughest and also hardest thing for me to let go yeah. uh, of attaching my well-being to to an outcome.
0: It's it's a powerful insight, and it makes me realize how. You know through our schooling, high school and university, we're so trained in the in the transaction of if mm. I pull this lever right, I'll get the right marks and mm. that opens up the next thing. and it's just lousy training for so much mm. of what actually happens in life
1: totally, totally I mean there's, there's a great example just to illustrate this in the sense that i I don't go looking for outcomes as much as I want to connect with people who share similar values. Mm. So I, I got asked recently uh, on uh, in, in another interview, Simon, how did you get some of those blurbs that you got on your book? And I, I said to him, you know, it wasn't an outcome that, that, that I was looking for. I didn't go into the book and say, I have to get these testimonials and these are ones I want. I simply looked at relationships I'd cultivated mm. and I said, which of those within my relationships would be open to providing one? But those relationships were already cultivated over years. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah. like I went into that relationship with a transaction and said, I'm only getting into this because of X. Yeah. I built those relationships because there was something that we connected on. Mm-hmm. And all of, these, all of this was done way before I had the opportunity to write a book. So when the yeah. book came, it was a natural next step to see if they wanted to help.
0: Sure. Speaking of books, what's the book you're gonna read from today?
1: The book i'm going to read from michael is the mountain is you mm. it is by the author brianna Wiest, uh, yeah. who i have followed for a number of years and her writing is just beautiful
0: yeah i've only recently discovered her through her her other book um like 100 essays on something or other yeah. and um she, she's prolific and and beloved and i hadn't quite realized that so i was interested Um, that you picked this. And when you held up the book, I could see it looked like it was a well-read book. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's a well-read book. And there's a little bit of bias in in the choice purely because I had the opportunity to write uh, an endorsement for for this book of hers, uh, but also because it's my favorite book of hers. And when people ask me for book recommendations, this is one of those uh, that is always Mm. top of the list.
0: And having picked that book, because I can feel how precious it is to you, how did you choose what two pages to read?
1: To be fair, I could have turned onto any two pages, Michael, yeah. and, and it would be dripping with wisdom. Uh, but the reason I chose these two pages is because it is beautiful in the way that it contrasts the old you and the yeah. new you, and how okay. it sums up in such a concise. Way that it inspires you to want to work to that new you.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So, Simon Alexander Ong reading from Brianna West's book, The Mountain is You. Over to you, Simon. Be this
1: as it is, most people do not actually change their lives until not changing becomes the less comfortable option. This means that they do not actually embrace the difficulty of altering their habits until they simply do not have another choice. Staying where they are is not viable. They can no longer even pretend that it is desirable in any way. They are, quite honestly, less at rock bottom and more stuck between a rock that's impinging on them and an arduous climb out from beneath it. If you really want to change your life, Let yourself be consumed with rage, not toward others, not with the world, but within yourself. Get angry, determined, and allow yourself to develop tunnel vision with one thing and one thing only at the end. That you will not go on as you are. One of the biggest reasons that people avoid doing important internal work is that they recognize if they heal themselves, their lives will change sometimes drastically. If they come to terms with how unhappy they are, it means that they will have to temporarily be more uncomfortable, ashamed, or scared while they start all over. Let's be clear about something. To put an end to your self-sabotaging behavior absolutely means that change is on the horizon. Your new life is going to cost you your old one. It's going to cost you your comfort zone and your sense of direction. It's going to cost you relationships and friends. It's going to cost you being liked and understood. It doesn't matter. The people who are meant for you are going to meet you on the other side. You're going to build a new comfort zone around the things that actually move you forward. Instead of being liked, you're going to be loved. Instead of being understood, you're going to be seen. All you're going to lose is what was built for a person you no longer are. Remaining attached to your old life is the first and final act of self-sabotage. And releasing it is what we must prepare for to truly be willing to see real change.
0: Ah, that's fantastic. Um, What's the deep wisdom there for you, Simon?
1: For me, when I when I first read that, what struck me was, was being comfortable to let go of that old self, mm. to let go of things that no longer serve us, whether they are relationships, identities, beliefs, so that we can make space for what we actually want to do, what actually is serving us, what is actually going to help mm. us move forward. And it links back to... One of the questions you asked me earlier, Michael, when That's you right. said, what was the hardest thing for me what to heart, let go what of? What hard
0: are you going to break? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. So that reminded me a lot of that. And mm. it, it reminds me of another saying, which has just popped up in my head after I've read that to you. Yeah. I believe the author is Shrivanas Rao. Mm. He, he once said, if you want to live an extraordinary life, you have to be willing to let go of the ordinary. And Lovely. These two pages for me beautifully sums that up.
0: I love that. And I love that you're quoting Srini because I just, I just did an interview with him on his podcast (laughs) last week. So it's a a nice kind of connection around that. You know, there's one line that I thought um, was particularly powerful where she talks about let yourself be consumed by rage and Mm. anger. And I'm wondering what's the anger that drove you to transform? I would actually, just reflecting on it, Michael,
1: I don't think it would be anger. That, that's not the emotion that mm. comes to my mind, but mm. I, I think it was an appreciation for the fragility of life. And okay. the reason the reason I say that is because just before I was making this change, I had lost two people close to me. I, I lost my mom to a tragic accident, and, and then I lost my grandfather uh, mm. to cancer. And I think when you've lost people, especially at a, a, at a young age, uh, mm. unexpectedly uh, to, uh, to things that you cannot control, it really hits home how fragile life is. Yeah. And, and what that taught me is that I didn't want to get to the end of my life full of regrets of things that I could have done. Mm-hmm. And so it taught me to take risks, to try, for if you don't try, the answer will always be no, you'll never know for sure unless you put yourself out yeah. there. And during, during this period of reflection, Michael, I came across a, I, I, I believe it was Aristotle that, 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 that said this, but I came across a quote that summed up what I was going through, uh, having, having seen these two uh, deaths in the family. And, and the Aristotle quote is, you have two lives. And the second begins the moment you realize you have only one. And <laughs> so I think it was less anger and it was more an awakening, yeah. if you will, yeah. uh, about just how fragile this gift of life is.
0: Yeah. You know, your, your new book is called Energize. I'm wondering what the connection is between regrets, managing regret, not having regret mm. and what it means to have the ability to show up with energy in the life that you live mm.
1: well well first of all just to give context to what I mean by energy yeah. so when I talk about energy I, I I'm referencing it in four dimensions so it's the physical it's the mental it's the emotional and it's the spiritual yeah so often when we when we think about getting more energy we, we, we focus exclusively on the physical i e get more rest, sleep earlier, feed my body better, move my body. Take
0: cocaine.
1: (laughs) 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 grab a different different
0: podcast, yeah.
1: Exactly. Grab an espresso (laughs) shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's more like my style. (laughs) (laughs) But what we tend to do is we neglect the other three domains, Mm. the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And for me, the link with the regrets and living in the now taps into the spiritual energy dimension. now a lot of people that i see and speak to uh throughout my work tend to have low spiritual energy now now what i mean by that is the work that they're doing now versus the work that they actually want to do is vastly different now when this occurs it creates a bit of tension Mm -hmm. and that tension can manifest in the form of anger frustration and reacting very emotionally to what is going on in our personal life because right. we're not doing the things that make us feel alive mm. and so that for me is a connection to regret is that when we begin to address that lack of spiritual energy right that is when we begin to live more in flow that experience of doing things that make us feel alive that bring us joy and feel like we're working towards a meaningful
0: life yeah just on a, on a definition question, when you say a spiritual energy, can you just, because spiritual is one of those big words that has stuff wrapped around the axle with, it. Mm. are you talking about, it sounds like you're talking more about a life with purpose and meaning. Mm. Um, But, it, but spiritual often is involving, you know, a spiritual belief or a belief in a higher power or whatever it might be. Um, Just so I know, how are you talking about spiritual in this case?
1: So, so for me, spiritual in this case is, is more about meaning and, and, and yeah. purpose, um, yeah. because the, the reason I, I think it's such an important piece when thinking mm. about energy is that once we have clarity on, on what that is, and that will be different for each of us, but once we have clarity on what that is, yeah. it awakens such a potent force within us that we end up showing up in the world in a different way through mm. commitment, focus, and persistence. Yeah, uh, and, and that's why that element of energy is so crucial
0: yeah so i mean it's one thing to decide you need to let go of your past life just mm. like brianna west was encouraging in the in the passage you read out and to like i need to get out from underneath the rock and i need to start climbing mm. but how do you help people find a sense of purpose find a sense of meaning because it's one thing to say no to stuff, you know, that's not working, but often this idea of actually having a purpose feels quite elusive to to lots of people. Mm.
1: You're right, Michael. Purpose can purpose can be heavy. Purpose mm. can be very overwhelming when we think about it. And in fact, when I speak to a lot of people, often the reason why they're not taking action, why yeah. they're not mo- why they're not making progress forward. It's because they're waiting to understand what their purpose is. Right. And I think this is where a paradox exists. Okay. We need to understand what our purpose is, but yet we don't discover our purpose until we take action. Right. And so I think an almost softer way to begin and how I work with my clients is to understand what they're curious about.
0: Mm.
1: And that for me is a great starting point. What are you curious about right now? With yeah. no attachment to whether that works out or not, but just to simply explore it, because looking back at my own life, and and also from the conversations I've had with others, there is also there is always wisdom in our curiosities. Right. We may not always see it at the time, but we can only see that through the passage of time.
0: Right, it's true. You know, it'd be nice if we could just kind of order up. Our purpose on Uber Eats. You're like, I, I want, I want, I want a purpose with the works, please. I'd like it all, and if you could just deliver that in the next 17 minutes, that would be great. And I'm willing to tip, and I'm willing to tip big if you can deliver my purpose. But so often it's a, it's a, an exploration, and you start by mm. doing things totally. Um, and
1: and the analogy that comes to my mind, just as we were yeah. bouncing off each other, then Michael is, is that of a jigsaw puzzle. You right. know we can't finish a jigsaw puzzle without starting the puzzle and only once we start putting the pieces together do we begin to have clarity on on what that vision is the picture starts to come together but we can't build the picture without taking those first steps
0: Mm. what have you learned around the need to balance exploration with safety because you're encouraging people to be curious, which means kind of, mm. you know, moving into the unknown and to, into the ambiguous. But there's risk there. And there's mm. a chance of struggle or failure or uncertainty or just a lack of knowing what the hell is going on. Um, so I'm just wondering how, and you know, if there's a way that if you go too far, too fast into the unknown, you can actually expose yourself to, to a degree of risk that you may not want. Mm. How do you help? people find or articulate the balance between the need for curiosity and risk and the need mm-hmm. for self-preservation and safety.
1: I, I think it's important to work within what I would call your stretch zone, within mm-hmm. the idea of a comfort zone. So if uh, if you have never worked out in a gym before and you've just hired a personal trainer and you're looking to build your muscle, yeah. You're not going to go in and and try and lift a a 40 or 50 kilo dumbbell from the off because what's going to happen. Chances are you're a
0: middle-aged man, in which case you are going to try and do that because middle-aged men are stupid. (laughs) And we're like, oh, I could do this when I was 20. I'll do it now that I'm 52. And I'm like, oh, I pulled a muscle. I pulled every muscle that I have. But if you're sensible, you're right. You don't leap into picking up the heaviest dumbbell.
1: Exactly. And and that's exactly what happens, Michael. You know, if you go in and pick up the heaviest dumbbell, either you're gonna hurt yourself mm-hmm. uh, or it's gonna hit your confidence. And right. you put yourself even further back to where you mm-hmm. were before you lifted that dumbbell. So when you work with a personal trainer, what they do is they understand your strength where you are right now, mm-hmm. and then they suggest some weights that will slowly stretch your comfort zone. And they'll get you to do an extra rep or two each time you come back to the gym. And Mm -hmm. so taking that analogy, how we balance that desire to have some safety with wanting to expand our comfort zones and explore that curiosity, is to simply ask ourselves, well, how can I stretch myself a little this week? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not asking myself to jump into the deep end, but I just want to stretch myself a little. So another practical example is that if you're looking to develop your public speaking, and you've never spoken in public before. It doesn't make sense to try and go straight for that TED talk where you're in front of hundreds if not thousands. Now the first small step to expand your comfort zone but still to be with an element of safety is you might say, well I'm gonna sit on a panel and I'm gonna be amongst other people in which I can share some of my wisdom. And then maybe the next step is maybe I'll get to interview someone live on stage. And then the next one is then I'm going to speak on my own on stage. Mm. Now what happens is that if we're constantly stretching ourselves the okay. real benefit in that is that it builds our confidence bank. It yeah. begins to tell us we're someone that can do that. Mm. And and that's the real reward in slowly stretching ourselves. I'm jumping straight in and yeah. taking too much risk that actually we scare ourselves or injure ourselves or dent our yeah. confidence that we feel even more afraid to take those steps.
0: I like that in both the examples of the working out and the speaking, Mm. there are people around you that are helping you with this. I'm a big believer that it's hard to do any of this stuff by yourself. You need to build Mm. a posse around you who will encourage and guide and chide Mm. and, you know, (laughs) push and hug and all the things that you kind of combination of things you need to to be brave. Mm. So I mean, your new book is energize. Um, I'm curious to know what, Feels like the most unexpected piece of wisdom you share in that book.
1: The most unexpected wisdom I share in the book. I think, given the title, yeah, and given that so many people think that in order to be productive, we've got to manage our time better, I yeah. would say the unexpected wisdom is to focus more on managing our energy instead of managing our time. And what does that mean? that's. So what that means is that if we focus exclusively on time management, Mm. we are assuming that our energy is constant throughout the day. So many of us, uh, especially if we're working for companies, what we'll do is we'll open our calendar and we'll start shoving things in into every hour of the day (laughs) without due consideration of what our energy levels are like at those different points. And so what happens is the way we show up in the afternoon is going to be very different to the way we show up in the morning. Mm. And... Just to give an example of a conversation I had with uh, w- with a leader uh, at a company here in London. I said to him during a conversation, when do you hold your most important meetings with your colleagues? Mm. And he said, first thing on a Monday morning. Right. My next question was, I'm curious, what do you feel the energy is of your team members first thing on a Monday morning? Everybody loves Monday mornings. I'm sure they were <laughs> bubbling over with enthusiasm. And so he sort of disconnected. He, right. he was like, I see where you're going with this, Simon. And I said, I'm <laughs> yes. just raising your awareness here. I'm just really yeah. curious as to the thinking behind putting mm. that meeting on a Monday morning. Yeah, And I started to point him towards the fact that this was probably the reason why he wasn't getting the engagement or the contribution the ideas from his team and so simply shifting that meeting to later in the week a tuesday afternoon a wednesday morning he noticed a significant difference in the energy that these individuals brought into the meeting so for me it's really understanding what is our energetic rhythm like on a daily and a weekly and a monthly basis and managing our diary and our schedule around that
0: data yeah there are some people like me who are listening to you say that and going, of course, like I know that mm. come two o'clock I'm, I'm I'm, <laughs> s- I'm even more suboptimal than I am at my peak. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I need mm. a nap most likely. <laughs> um, and I'm, and I have fully embraced the nap culture. I'm like, I've read enough, you know, you always find the scientific research that backs up the life you want to live. So I'm like, I need <laughs> to find science, scientific research that justifies eating chocolate and justifies <laughs> eating naps. And I found that. And that's fantastic. Um, some people will feel like they don't have the same type of control over their calendar, over their schedule, to to do this slightly esoteric thing, which is like managing mm. energy. So, where if you if you're feeling like that's hard for me to figure out how to do, where do I start mm. with managing energy rather than time?
1: I think what makes it hard for people, Michael, from what I've seen is understanding how to communicate our boundaries Mm. or not being comfortable sharing what our boundaries are. And so that's what makes it hard because the first response many may reply with is, but I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. I don't think I'll get away with that. And so we are already presupposing someone else's response before we've even tried to communicate how we work best. And actually. I found that if it's a win win, then people tend to be welcoming and open to hearing what helps you work better. And mm-hmm. so, one of the things I've always suggested to people as a very first step that you can do to manage your energy better is to be as quick and efficient as putting times in your diary called me time as quickly right. and as efficiently as you do holiday plans, social right. events. And work meetings because when you get a work meeting come into your email you're like yes okay go straight into my diary but how quick are we in blocking out me time in our calendar mm. and when we don't do that what happens is guess what everybody yeah. else is trying to take chunks of your time away and that's what drains our energy
0: of course you're going to invent a fictional person that you're actually having meetings with so it doesn't read <laughs> like me time to people who can see your calendar it's like I'm meeting with Simon Alexander Ong right now and, you know, it's a regular meeting. It's important time. I've got to take the call. Simon's a big deal. You know, you don't want to mess with Simon. I mean, it feels like you can, you can carry that off. Um, Simon, I'd love talking to you. Um, a question I'd love to finish with is this what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation between you and me?
1: I would say the one thing that I would highlight, uh, which I think every one of us can can get better at, is self-awareness. Mm. You know, we talk about making changes, we talk about working towards a vision, we talk about improvement, but I think we can't have any of that without first being aware of ourselves. Mm. You, you know, this saying that goes, the longest journey we make as humans are the inches from our heads to our hearts. There's a lot of truth in that. And, and that's because self-development can only occur once we have self-awareness. And so for me, it is really to make time to understand our thoughts, to process them, and get clarity through that exercise. Because one of the most powerful activities I have ever embraced in my entrepreneurial journey, Michael, is the act of journaling, of simply writing down my thoughts onto paper, to download what's going on in here onto paper so I can clarify what the next best step is. Or at least understand how my thoughts are behaving.
0: There's a couple of sentences from the book just read that really struck me. Simon said If you want to really change your life, let yourself be consumed with rage, not towards others, not with the world, but within yourself. Get angry, determined, and allow yourself to develop tunnel vision. With one thing and the one thing only at the end. So, how does that land with you? Does it feel helpful or not so much? I mean, Simon went on to reflect that it wasn't actually anger for him so much as an appreciation of the fragility of life. And, you know, I'm not sure I choose rage either, except there is one thing, metaphorically, that I really love about the idea of rage. Because for me, rage conjures this idea of, you know, it's a pale blue flame. And it's burning down, it's burning out, all that is extraneous. So you can really get to the heart of the essence of what really matters. You might know that short poem from the 17th century Japanese poet, Mizuta Masahidi. Barns burnt down, now I can see the moon. So. What's getting in the way of you seeing the moon? I hope you like this. I can quickly recommend a couple of other interviews like my one with Simon that you might enjoy as well. Another S, Stephen, Stephen D'Souza. That conversation is called How to Be and Not Be Yourself. He's a very interesting philosophical man based in the UK as well, just like uh, Simon is. And then... Uh, an interview I recommend often is with Liz Wiseman, and that's called How to Thrive. Her new book, by the way, Impact Plays. Terrific. Definitely worth watching if you or listening to if you're, if you're keen. Now, if you'd like more of Simon, you can contact him at simonalexanderong.com. So, alexanderong.com. Or go to his uh, book's website, getenergizedbook.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the love. It's always appreciated when you take one interview, maybe this interview, and say, I'm going to share this with one person. We grow our listener base one person at a time. Thank you if you've taken the time to give us reviews as well. Um, We are slowly but surely accumulating some very lovely comments there. And if you're willing to give a click somewhere and five stars and a nice comment, man, I really appreciate that. You're awesome. You're doing great.